On today's episode of the Teacher's Lounge, we talk with Alexis Simpson. We're talking about student-led environments, the importance of one-on-one student conferences, and how you can start identifying leaders in your own classroom. Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. Uh, today we're talking to Mrs. Simpson, and we're talking about student-led environments. Um, this is something that you know I hear a lot about in the teaching world. Um, it's something that is very important, but I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. I don't know a ton about this topic. Um, it's something I know that a lot of teachers are striving for. Um, and Ms. Simpson is something that I've wanted to have on the podcast for a while because what she does in her classroom is she really sets up this environment. And I was excited to kind of pick her brain on, you know, what she does in her classroom um, and, you know, and how other teachers can kind of take from her experience to kind of build in this student-led environment. So I guess first things first, um, and this might be kind of a broad question to start out with, but to you, what does the student-led environment in a classroom look like? So you're right. This is a definition and a topic that is tossed around a lot. Um, I feel like it's the same, like five or eight years ago, differentiation was another big one and everyone went gung-ho in it. And I think people drive themselves crazy trying to figure out what both of them are. And really a student-led classroom is just exactly what it is. It's student-led. And every year that student-led classroom changes based on the type of children that you have, whether it's their skills, their personalities, or just how they work together as a group, um, if they're friends or not. And really what you're striving for in a student-led classroom is for students to have a self-advocacy where they can learn how to be motivated to learn the information, but also how to learn information. Um, and it's setting up a room and assignments where they're able to do that. So there, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think your definition was spot on. Um, you know, the first thing that kind of stuck out in my mind in your answer is this it's not a one-size-fit-all approach. There's not a template to creating the student-led environment. When you mention that you know, each class might look different or each year might look different, how do you create that? What does that mean? I mean, the first, the first thing you have to do is a, each year with a new set of students, you have to establish yourself as a teacher in a classroom. So what I mean by that is there has to be a sense of trust and communication between the teacher and the students. Um, And sometimes that can take a short amount of time and sometimes that can take a long amount of time. I can tell you that this year it has been a lot easier to achieve because so many students know me from last year or know of me. So there is an understanding as to what kind of teacher I am and who I am. But it is creating this open dialogue with the kids about what they want their classroom to look like. How is it going to feel? How is it going to look? What are the rules going to be? And what will the layout look like? Uh, Because that has to be uh, interesting to kids. Now, this is where the part I said before becomes important, where each school year will look different, and that's why you can't focus on 
the perfection of a student-led classroom mm. to the T of this and then this and then this because we're in COVID. You, you can't organize your room a specific way. So you have to get creative with what you do. But once you establish that communication of like what the kids want and how they want it to feel and look, you make sure that the kids know your expectations as far as rules because there cannot be a student-led classroom without kids who are willing to talk. And mm -hmm. if they don't feel safe in talking without the fear of being bullied or ridiculed by peers, or in some cases, a teacher, um, none of that is capable of happening. So when you say, you know, the look and feel is something that they want, are you simply asking them? Specifically, yeah. I mean, <laughs> with kids, you have to be straightforward, but asking them, you know, what are some things that would help you guys learn? So I guess, for instance, one of the major things I ask my kids is, how do you learn? Do you need to be up and moving around? Are you a fidgeter? Uh, do you like to listen to music? Um, and last year in my classroom, I had a place where kids could sit uh, to be alone. There was a place where kids were allowed to go and work with music. There was um, a place where you could work in groups. Um, so it's asking all of them as a collective unit, maybe through a survey or even just through open dialogue, how you guys learn best. And hey, if the room were set up in a way that could encourage you to work with a partner or to feel more open to speak mm -hmm. on the topic that we're talking about in class, how would that setup look for you? That is fascinating. Um, I remember being in eighth grade English and it was so regimented that, and I, 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 you know, I liked my eighth grade English teacher, but you know, everything was very process based. You know, you did step two because that was after step one, the classroom was set up this way. We learned this way. We read Shakespeare because that's just what we did. And we, it's, but the environment that you're creating is so much more inclusive and caters to the students needs. That's got to make them feel valued at a level that they're probably not feeling everywhere. I, I would agree with you. Um, it is something that has to be built though, right? Because you do, unfortunately, you do have to start with a regimen. This is, this is what we're going to do. We're going to come into class every day and do this, 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 and this. Uh, and then you start slowly branching out with those things. But yes, as you had said, once you are to the point where you're branching out and you can start challenging the kids a little bit more, they, yeah, they do feel more heard. Um, in fact, I've even had students who have told me that the reason why they come to my class at the end of the day to talk and why they are so much more respectful in my class versus sometimes I even had a student say versus at home is because said child feels hurt. And that, you know, eighth grade is a, that's a, that's a tough age for anybody. You know, you're going through mm -hmm. all sorts of, you know, changes in your life and you know, just, it's just a difficult age, but having an environment set up for them and, you know, to your point, a teacher that allows them to kind of be in this environment, that's got to make them feel good. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that, you know, at the beginning of the school year, yes, it is regimented. And then you kind of allow this, you know, open dialogue to kind of figure out what the classroom should look and what it should feel like. 
how do you know when the classroom is ready for that dialogue, when it's ready for your students to kind of engage in this, you know, these conversations with you of, you know, I need a corner where I can go and listen to music while I work, or I need to be standing instead of sitting. How do you know your classroom is ready for that? You know you're ready when your class, when you have established class leaders and they are on board to be class leaders for you mm -hmm. and they know what your goals are. So I have class leaders for all of my in-person classes right now um, and they know the expectations, they know the goal, they can come to me with questions, they can come to me with ideas and we implement those. And mm. once you have those people in place and they're the right people, you know to slowly start implementing ideas in. Like people call it the brown nose students, but it's not because they are held much higher than other students. But students start to realize that like, if they kind of follow on with them, oh, my teacher will let me do more. So it's mm. not this idea of brown nosing, though in their eyes it is. It's an idea of if you do what's expected of you, not to a measurement, but just to stay on task, there are rewards that come with it. If I'm you know, 22, 23, 24, fresh out of college, just finished my student teaching, and this is my first year going into a classroom. How do I identify who these students might be that can kind of help guide the rest of the classroom that says, yep, you know, they are ready for this conversations. You know, I come to these students, these students come to me and, you know, kind of set the pulse for the classroom. As you create your road for your classroom in a student-led classroom, you first have to pave it, right? And I think the fastest way to pave your road is to look for easy indicators. And that easy indicator is someone who's willing to raise their hand, okay? Mm. Now, it has to go further than that though. You, you, you start to thank them for participating. You start to reward their participation, even if mm. it's wrong by saying, that was a really good idea. Um, mm. And forgive me for using your, uh, error, if you will, is what I say to them, because everyone needs to learn from it. But I'm so thankful that you did. And it's this building up, building up. And I see how they react to that. Um, and then thankfully, as that happens, more kids are willing to get out a little bit more. And then from there, you start kind of watching those people who are participators. The next step is to see what groups they Put themselves in when they work in groups together and there's usually that one loudmouth who raised their hand every day no matter what from the first day of school and i'm thinking of one particular girl right now who i just love and in fact i'm gonna let her watch this video and she's gonna be like that's me miss simpson i'll be like that is you um who can corral the whole class but then to my surprise one of the people who doesn't hardly talk at all is another class leader mm -hmm. um, because he is a different kind of role model. So what I'm trying to say is, is that it is something that evolves over time and it's role models of people who can model what you want in their classroom. Like my loud mouth is the one who is never afraid to be wrong and she will always mm -hmm. raise her hand. I have another one who is another loud mouth um, who is afraid to say, I have no idea what you're talking about. She's that I'm always right. He's that I have no idea what you're talking about. 
the other role model is the one who is like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to pretend like I'm going to figure it out because I have to turn it in. That's him. And then I have another girl who is the role model of, um, I always get my work done and I always know what I'm doing. So I have this, these perfect, this perfect square of model students that are for each type of learning category in my classroom. And, and I'm so glad that, you know, you kind of went into depth of finding these indicators that, you know, it's, it's not always, you know, Mr. Miss straight a always looking for extra credit teachers. Mm -mm. Pet. Um, you know, cause I just, I just think of myself as an eighth grader, um, and you know, right or wrong. Those were normally the jokes we were making were about, you know, that student that, mm -hmm. you know, and now you want me to follow them. That's, I'm glad that there's that distinction that these, these role models in the classroom or these, these students that you look to, to kind of set the tone in the classroom aren't necessarily always the ones that are happy to be there in the front row. You know, hi, Mrs. Simpson, I'm here. Can we start our lesson? I have my pencils and my ruler. Let's go. Yeah. And, I think that's an important qualification that, you know, at the end of the day, you're trying to build a student led environment. You're not trying to build a straight A environment. You're not trying to build a teacher's pet and, or a teacher's pet environment. How important is that incorporating all levels of the student while you're building this environment? It's extremely important that you, and I guess that's kind of where the, you know, another trigger where differentiation comes into play that a lot of first year teachers hear that word being tossed around a lot. And it, I get, I honestly get a little bit frustrated, even with myself, like my, my own supervisor will be like, you talk about differentiation all the time. And I'm like, I know I do. And I, I even hate hearing the word, but in reality it is so important because every kid is at a different level. And it, it goes back to what I had said before. If a child feels so overwhelmed with material or with the goal, because every kid, every person in this world wants to impress someone, right? So if a kid feels like they are not going to be able to meet a goal or to get somewhere to impress, what are they going to do? Any person would do the same thing. They're going to shut down. They're going to stop right away. So if you can't give them some sort of carrot to at least reach toward to get, they're not going to do it. So I think that that's the part that is so overwhelming for teachers when doing this. And I'll be truthful, even for myself, it's very daunting. Um, projects are a lot harder to come up with because you got to create four to six different kinds of projects for these kids to be able to show you that they grasp the information and can demonstrate that for you through different projects and through different assignments. And it is, it is hard, but the reward is, is huge. There are so many kids who are so talented. And this year, more than any year before, I have gotten kids feedback on topics and group discussion that I am blown away with and i love that because i have i've had to say more times this year to kids wow i did not even think about that like that is a great point or um i, sh I should have put that up on the board you guys like i didn't even think of that like i'm sorry and it's this it creates such a 
bigger relationship in the classroom where everyone, my students say sorry to me all the time. I'm sorry, Ms. Simpson. I, um, I, I, did, I didn't want to come to class today. Um, I'm sorry, Ms. Simpson. I, uh, I, I just wasn't paying attention to the time. Like they're just so forward with me. And when a child feels like it's okay to not understand something right away, or it's okay to not get an A on something, they work harder for it because they know it's okay to make mistakes. And that's why it's so important to also understand every single one of your students on an individual basis where you do student-led conferencing with them and understand their goals. It is not, it is not fair to expect all of your students to say, I'm going to give the whole class a reward if we get to this percentile. Mm. EL students, special education students, Kids who just don't care and they're like, eh, 2.5 is good enough for me, right? Like, what is the motivation in that? You, it takes more work, but you have to step back and say, what if you guys just all did a half percentage better than what you did before? You know, obtainable goals. Know your audience. I just feel like, you know, you hear that word all the time, right? You hear it in social media. You hear it in, um, on TV. You hear it in debates. Know your audience well, how are we going to get them to do stuff? How, um, you know, and I just think about this from, you know, a, new, a newer teacher's perspective, how difficult is it to give up some of that control and turn over some of this responsibility to your students for the first time? You think that you gain more when you are controlling, but you're not. In fact, you're losing more. You are working hard. You're not working smart. I think what's really interesting about this concept of student-led environment is, you know, when you hear about it, just right off the cuff, you just think the students are making all the decisions. You know, I want this, I want this, this is how I want to be taught. But this concept of student-led environment, just how much is required of you to provide this environment? Like yeah. that's, that's one that I think a piece to this that kind of gets lost in the name of student-led. Like you, you know, you're building this environment, you're providing these, you know, emotional connections. Can this student-led environment happen without you taking, um, you know, kind of taking this, this role of setting up this environment? As a teacher, how I, and I was saying this in my head as you were answer, as you were asking the question, as a teacher, I view myself as a manager or as a supervisor, right? Mm -hmm. Could a manager and a supervisor not be there and things still run the way they should? Yes. But is there going to come a point where the manager does need to be there? Yeah, of course, right? For paying out the salaries, you know, doing the hours, ordering things, whatever that is. So I think how I want to answer that is just like that. Am I trying to create a classroom in which my kids work while I'm standing in the corner watching, kind of just perusing around? Yes. Um, so that they don't need me in that moment, but do they need me to facilitate that environment for them? Yeah. They need that manager to be there to give that to them. And that I think, um, you know, kind of what we're just hitting on, um, I wish there was another 
you know, set of buzzwords that we could call this. You know, mm-hmm. Not necessarily, you know, it's, it's, you know, providing this environment, it's empowering your students. Um, but, you know, like I said, this word student led just makes it seem like you're just allowing them to kind of take charge and things like that. Yeah. Is there a way to, and the, you know, this is an obviously loaded question, but is there a way to kind of measure the impact that this environment has on a particular student or groups of students? There's a lot of ways. I'll, I'll tell you the ways that I measure it. First one I look at is analyzing how their writing is moving on. Two, mm. are they, excuse me, are they consistently participating um, or working in the class when they should be? And then it goes into those assessment type things, right? Is, are their interims going up? Are their quiz scores getting better? Um, Are they critically thinking and all of those more? And I think that that's the real way to analyze it. And that is how I analyze it, at least. And in, in the way that I have been doing it, every single interim or state test, I have had kids move up half a percentage. So like 1.5 to a 2.0, or they're in passing proficiency now. Um, I didn't have anyone drop and I had out of 60 students, I only had four stay the same. Um, If I'm a newer teacher, you know, how do I start this process of building a student led classroom? I think what the first and foremost thing you need to start with is student-led conferences. I would have to say that that is the biggest thing. I did not start with that first, and I wish I would have started with it because it made it so much harder to get to know my students. Mm Student-led conferencing is something you could do every couple weeks, and it's really sitting down and looking at the objectives that you have in a unit and listing out maybe your biggest assignments that you have in that unit and helping your students create goals, knowing about their academic success in prior years through the testing, maybe that's done at the school, uh, you know, interims, for instance, at NHA, and asking them, what do you want to get better at? Like, where do you want to be? And then once you kind of understand that, ask them, getting to know more about them. These student-led conferences are huge. They tell you a lot about their personal life, where they want to be and who they are. And when you start to understand that, that's when you can start facilitating a student-led classroom. And that's your point of, you know, having these relationships with them, these one-on-one relationships, you know, kind of taking these relationships a little bit deeper than just, you know, calling on Sally, just, you know, this encounter of one-on-one while within the, the class of the group. But when you have one-on-one with these, um, these student-led meetings, that's got to just build on itself with mm-hmm. the relationship you have with them, with the engagement in the classroom, with them feeling valued. Um, is that something you do weekly, monthly? My goal is to do it at the beginning of the year, obviously, Um, And then I try to do it at the minimum at the end of every unit, unless I have something big coming up, then I will do it it too. So if I know I've got like uh, M-step or 
PSAT, things like that, I will do another one in between because I, I converse so much with my kids now because of that relationship I built that it's ever going now. So now it's just maintenance, truthfully. But I would say as a new teacher who is starting this and you don't really know how to do it, you, you may want, I would say it would be a very good idea to trial and error this every week, but not with all students every week. Maybe categorize your students into groups of three or four and be like, this week, I'm going to talk to these three or four. Next week, I'm going to talk to these three or four. And you, you choose the same day every week. And the day that you're doing it during whatever time period it is, purposely, again, it's all about planning. It, everything is planned out. Purposely plan it around a time in which your students are doing independent work whether that's with partners themselves so that you can step away to do 10 minute conferencing with each kid. And then you're only out for 30, 40 minutes. You can do it right outside the door in the hallway where the door's cracked. And if you have set up an environment where the kids know they need to stay on task, then they will. Of course, you got to give yourself grace as a, a first year teacher or even a first year teacher doing this because it is not going to go the way you planned they are going to get riley the first few times and you just have to remind them in a kind way i expect more of you use empowering words don't tell them no explain to them why um help them learn how to be different don't just tell them to be different and it it flows what's interesting is you know kind of at the the beginning of our conversation one of the questions i asked you was how do you start understanding what your students need in a classroom, what your students want in a classroom, how they can thrive in this learning environment? These one-on-one -on -one student led conversations might, you know, and I may be wrong in this, but is that a good way to start building these relationships, understanding when I meet with, you know, Johnny or Susie for, you know, the five or 10 minutes that I have scheduled, really allowing them the opportunity to say, this is what I need in a classroom to thrive. This is how I learn. I can't sit by the window because I'm easily distracted. Do these meetings provide the opportunity for you to really fine tune what your classroom as a whole needs? Yeah, it certainly does. Especially because those kids who do like get off task, as you just said, they can't sit by the window because of this or kids who need to be in the front row because they can't see the thing right or they can't the board right or they can't see the back row because then they're looking at everyone's computers. Knowing that is helpful, but that's all really helpful, obviously, because if you've got all of your parts working, then your machine can work. And that's what that's how I kind of envision it is my students as gears inside of the whole engine that works. Um, but it's good too, because I feel like when you have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with the kids at the beginning of the year and you, they, they do tell you a lot more in confidence when they are sitting there. Then what I love to do is come back to the whole class and say like, this is what some kids want in talking mm -hmm. to everyone. This is what they said. This is what another group of people said. This is what some people disagreed with. Then you see people start talking because they're like, I'm not alone. Mm. And, you know, I just think of myself, eighth grade Scott, um, I'm probably not sharing a ton of 
you know, some personal things with my teachers, you know, if I'm, and I was the kid that was distracted when I sat by the window, I'm probably not telling my teacher that. Um, mm-hmm. But to your point of, you know, sharing that out with the rest of your classroom, and obviously not saying individual kids' names, but, you know, some of the kids don't want this. That to me, as someone that doesn't like talking about my feelings or emotions, and especially eighth grade Scott didn't, that would make me open up that I knew that, you know, my teachers having these conversations with other kids and they're voicing the same opinions. And, you know, I think that's an important first step to the student led environment that, you know, it's easy to say we're providing an an environment to allow our students to open up. That's great to say, but there's a lot of eighth grade Scots out there that just don't want to share stuff with their teacher. And I think, Mm -hmm. I really like this idea of meeting one-on-one with students and then speaking in general, gen, speaking in general terms to the class that some students like this, some students like that. That's a really cool concept. If you had to go back to day one of your classroom, you're standing in front of a classroom for the first time, you know, you just finished your student teaching. This is your first teaching job by yourself. What would you tell yourself about student-led environments? Yeah, do the student-led conferencing and do not go into the classroom not smiling. It's it's funny you mentioned smiling. We did a podcast um, a couple months ago on creating relationships in the classroom. And one of the teachers that we were interviewing about it, um, and it's actually part of the podcast, where she said when she was in student teaching, one of the teachers – at the school she was student teaching at said, don't smile until Christmas. And that to me was, that like, you know, just kind of blew my mind a little bit. Like, what? (laughs) What does that mean? (laughs) To me, that that speaks fear, right? We're teaching our kids to fear us. Um, It speaks um, controlling. Mm. Um, They see it as you know, a, a block in front of us. Uh, these kids might not want us to know everything about them, but they want to know everything about us. Mm. They are skeptical. And why not let them, why not let them see who you are? Thank you, Miss um, Simpson. This is something that I think, um, you know, student-led environments is something that a lot of teachers want to have um, but I think sometimes don't fully understand what that means or even how to start so you know thank you for kind of taking us into your classroom and showing you know how this environment works in your classroom and you know maybe just as importantly how to kind of start building this out so thank you